How are we going, mates? Welcome back to another episode of The Top Step and Happy Monday. That means it's a Mariners Monday edition. We're going to dive into everything with the Seattle Mariners. We have a lot of Mariner listeners who are asking me a lot of questions on social media. I'm going to get to as many of them, of, of them as I can. A lot of them are very similar. What do the Mariners need around the trade deadline? We're going to dive into all that. Some things I'm hearing from Jerry Depoto. I'm reading between the lines. I said that a couple of weeks ago. I said, Pay attention to what he's saying, the words he's using. That's kind of that's going to be kind of the direction they're going to go. Also, I'm doing a nice little comparison between Hall of Famer, guy's got the statue out the front, Ken Griffey Jr., and of course, have to do it, Cal Rowley. No, I'm joking. Griffey Julio comparison at this point in their career. It's kind of crazy. I pulled up some numbers and and we're going to dive into that as well. You'd be kind of surprised some of the numbers, good and bad. So. We're going to get into all that. Before we do, this is an audio-only episode. The YouTube channel uh, won't have a video version. I'm doing some things around the house. I couldn't quite get the, ca- the camera and everything set up. Um, and So make sure you go subscribe before we get into it. Um, tell your mates, we're trying to grow this show. I loved everyone at the All-Star break saying, hey, man, we love the podcast. It was the best. Awesome. All right, guys. Let's dive right into another episode of The Top Step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face a Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the 1-2 pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. As six. Victor Martinez and Grant Belfort join and benches have cleared. My goodness. This this is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up. He talks a lot. It's not personalized, but he talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. All righty, a lot of things to cover here. I'm going to dive right into the questions because it's going to it's going to kind of guide the show too. And a lot of it has to do with the trade deadline. Before we get into all that, I want to let you know that this show is proudly brought to you by Manscaped. If you go to manscaped.com, put the code in TTS, that gets you 20% off and free shipping. They've got the 4.0, um, the trimmer. They've got the, the uh, weed whacker. The lawnmower, excuse me. They've got the 4.0 lawnmower and the weed whacker. Um, but yes, make sure you go to manscaped.com, put the code in, TTS, you get 20% off and you support this show. You get free shipping or the rest of it. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. That summer bod, man. I've got to work on the old summer bod. Uh, they have built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. There's all kinds of goodies in there. I'm telling you right now, by the way, I have the razors. I don't have them on me. Plus, this is an audio version anyway. You don't want to hear the buzzing. They are amazing. And like I said, you're supporting the show too. So go to manscaped.com, 20% off. Uh, if you put TTS in um, at checkout and you get free shipping as well. All right, let's get right into it. So I'm going to just kick the show off with the questions. Uh, I think that kind of guides the show. I like doing that. Plus, I get to interact with everyone who was asking me questions um, last couple of days. Uh, and like I said, hey, real quick, I will say this too. Um, I apologize for last week. No Mariners Monday. I had my next-gen baseball camp in Bellevue. I want to give a big shout-out to, I know we've got a, a couple new listeners, a couple parents, maybe some kids. I had 165 little next-geners running around, 6 to 12-year-olds, 
over at uh, Hidden Valley Sports Park. It was unreal. We had about 110, 120 baseball players. And then we had about 40 to 45 softball players too, which is awesome. And guess who ran the camp? If you're from the Northwest or maybe even anywhere around the country, one of the best softball players on the planet. And what a, you know, a good mate of mine, man. I, I feel like we really hit it off. Danielle Laurie, right? Won a College World Series with the Huskies. She's number four all-time in strikeouts in college softball. Um, she was so good, man. I mean, some of the things she said, uh, I'm going to post some of the clips at, at Next Gen Baseball on social media, but just some of the things she said to the kids was unreal. And a lot of the parents are getting back to me saying how much they appreciated that. I appreciated that. I needed to hear it too. Great week. I've got Tacoma. We've got Wednesday to Friday down at Tacoma. So if you've got a little leaguer you know who wants to join us down at Tacoma, I'm going to get some of the Rainier players out there um, at Cheney Stadium. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm in Seattle. And then I am in Edmonds. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's camp season. So I apologize about no Mariner episode last week. But we've got a lot to get to. I know everyone here, there's a lot of questions. I'm going to skim through them here. About the trade deadline. Um, what? Okay, so Carrie Avery, Avery Moriarty. What's up, Carrie? She's she interacts with me a lot on social, and I know she's listening to this show. Uh, what do we need to do coming up on the trade deadline to get us into the postseason? Okay, um, and then Timothy Harvey as well. First question: Do you think the Mariners will be sellers? Or just hold, holding fast. Second question, will the Mariners have a bobblehead of woo holding a football? Oh, that's a good one. Nice. I like it. Well, the first question is about that, that trade deadline. Um, and I'm just going to try and get through some of the trade deadline questions. Um, okay. Simon Pope says, if you were the GM. What's up, Simon Pope? See the Aussie flag there? Love it. If you were GM of this, the Mariners, would you sell or buy at this deadline? Um who would you trade for or away? Good question. I'm going to might go down the, the the roster here in a second. Um, let me just see if there's, there's a few more trade deadline questions. Let me just double check. Do, 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 do. Um, that's not one. That's not one. Sorry, I'm just going through these. I should have these broken. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Okay, I'll find it. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so trade deadline. Let, let, let's dive right into the trade deadline because I really want to get into this comparison between Griffey and Julio at this point in their career too because it's pretty interesting. Because I know, look, Julio, he'll be the first to tell you, you know, he's been a little subpar this year, so we're going to get into that. But let's talk about this trade deadline for a second. Okay, so you go back to the last couple of years, right? So first of all, remember a couple of years ago, the Mariners, they were essentially in it. Uh, I can't remember what their record was at this point, a couple of years back. But the, the expectations were more about building the team, building the, the farm system, getting guys uh, looks, getting guys some experience. Uh, and they had Kendall Graveman in the bullpen. So that was their big trade piece, right? And they looked at that and said, man, we could really grab a couple of pieces here for Kendall Graveman. But they're in an interesting situation because they were kind of overperforming, essentially. They were basically... If you looked at it, they're re they right there. And you look at it going, man, look, we went from 2018, and we all remember, went from 2018 onwards where, where the, that little stretch there where Jerry Depoto and I was there when he first announced this at this, it was at this like um, sponsorship event. And he basically said, look, this is what we're going to do. I mean, the, the, he's talking to all these sponsors. He's trying to obviously make sure everyone's still on board here with the Seattle Mariners. He's in a tough spot. And he was just flat out honest. He just said, Nope, this is the direction we're going because we're going to wave the white flag. Essentially, he didn't say that, trust me. 
But he basically said, we're going to press the reset button. This is like going into 2018. And as we all know, all the contracts, the big contracts got stripped away. That Jack Sorensic era got stripped away. Um, and then slowly but surely, they built up the farm system, which was horrific, by the way. I remember looking back, oh man, is there anyone here? The player development and the drafting was not good. It's been a huge upgrade of late where you start, especially on the pitching side, where you get these players, they come in, um, they get drafted. The draft is a rock-solid draft. They buy into what the Mariners are doing. A lot, of that, a lot of that stuff that I'm talking about, you're probably rolling your eyes thinking, well, what are you talking about? I'm telling you right now, I've been in systems when a player gets drafted, they come in and it's just like, yep, you're on your own. If you're good, great. If not, then I've been on teams and systems. Marin has been one of them at certain points in my career when I was in the minor leagues. You come into the system and you feel proud to be a Seattle Mariner because there's a way of doing things and that's kind of their philosophy, good or bad. Um, but it, and and most of the time it's good if you if you respect it and you're proud of it. You're like, wow, this is awesome. I got to say, the Boston Red Sox when I was with them in 2013 didn't matter if you're in A ball. When I get sent over to the minor league side, if you're in A ball, AAA, everyone is doing the Boston Red Sox way of hitting, pitching, approach, everything. That they're all on board. You know why? Because they had guys in the big leagues who've had success. They've made the playoffs a thousand times. Obviously, 2004, etc. And so they had a way of doing things. And I was like, man, look at this. Everyone's, everyone's uniformed here. Everyone's on board. So, you know, again, when, when, when you look at all that, when, when you look at some of that stuff in regards to player developments, it's changed a lot. The Mariners have had, done a way better job of guys coming up, as we all know. Okay, so I just, want to say, I just want to throw that piece out there. So you go back to 2018, wave the white flag, and then all of a sudden you get to a year where – um, in 2019, excuse me, where are we at here? I'm just trying to look here. Sorry, not 2019. Um, I'm just looking. It was two. Oh my God, where is that? Here we go. Sorry, what am I saying? 2019, 2021, when the in July on July 27th, Houston Astros are in town. We got Abraham Torah, Joe Smith, veteran, for Kendall Graveman and Rafael Montero. Was that a good trade? When at the time, when you look at those names, uh, sorry, when you look back, no. Abraham Torre didn't work out. Joe Smith was a rental. Mariners got Kendall Graveman, who's pitching with the White Sox now. He went off to the Houston Astros playoff team. And Rafael Montero, who was struggling at the time, turned it around. So at that point, you go back to 2021. I'm using the last two years just to kind of give you some sort of uh, Jerry DePoto pattern here. The, the position they were in were, look, we're good, we're competitive, we're going to help out a little bit, but we're going to build for the future in Abraham Toro. Thinking Toro was going to be one of those guys you, you could have. Kendall Graveman, a couple of things on him too. Let's not forget, I know he was good, but there were some restrictions back then. Not publicly, it was a situation where if he pitched, he usually has to have the next day off. He went back to back, he's having two days off, he's coming off um, you know, some, some, some injuries and stuff like that. So you had some of these things that weren't really public either. But the players were not happy. I don't know if you remember, they were pretty vocal. They weren't happy because they're looking at this thinking, hold on a second, we're right in this thing. And you just traded away our best bullpen piece. right? And then, and obviously, you know, at that point, Paul Seawald was not an established pitcher either. Um, and Rafael Montero, a guy who was struggling, but you just traded away a chunk of our bullpen to get one potential prospect who was kind of you know, in a log jam there over in Houston and a rental player. So everyone was kind of pissed. Okay, so that was that year. And I've got to say, I hate to say it, comparing to the last two years, the Mariners are in a more 
similar position in 2021 than what they are, uh, what they were last year when, as we all know, we got uh, Luis Castillo. Now you look at Luis Castillo, that was a massive trade, you remember. He was the biggest trade piece out there. Everyone's like, we need a bat, we need a bat. And they went pitching. Um, and then they got Luis Castillo and they gave away, that's when they kind of flushed the system a little bit, gave away a couple prospects. And you look and they go, man, all right, the Mariners are uh, wheeling and dealing. But like I said, they were in a better position than what they are now in regards to where they stand and who's in front of them. So when when you look at what the Mariners need, okay, I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm going to answer these questions in a minute. Now, before before I answer those questions, Jerry Depoto, if you listen to him, whether it be on Root Sports, on Seattle Sports, the radio station I work for, uh, you can see the clips. If you go to Seattle Sports on their Instagram uh, YouTube don't really, I mean, excuse me, Root Sports don't really post the clips of Jerry interviews in the pre and post game show. But I listened to him, what was it, on Friday, uh, Friday or Saturday? And uh, he was talking to Brad Adam. And I listened to him during the week on the Brock and Sulk show as well. He's giving you the yes, we're going to help our club. Yes, we're going to build our club up. Um, yes, we're going to, you know, get what we need. But then he trumps that statement with saying we need, basically not these words, controllable players. In other words, what he's saying is the, 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 the guys they're going to go after, the moves they're going to make are guys who they look at and say, yeah, sure, we want them for 2023, but they have to be someone that we can control or have a chance maybe to extend, just like Luis Castillo. I'm going to get to that in just one second. We're going to get to um, a situation where we want this player. We don't want to flush the system. Well, maybe they do, but this player's got to be ours in 2024, 2025. So in saying that, when you're looking at some of when you're going on Google and you're putting in biggest trade targets like Shohei Otani, who's a rental player, let's, let's get real, for the next couple of months, he's not going to sign an extension at the end of the year. He's going to hit free agency, of course. But when you look at that, you're going to say to yourself, all right, what players am I looking at that are under team control for the next couple of years? You're not going to get a, like the, the Rangers went out and got Chapman. You're not going to get that bullpen piece, right? You're not going to get a hitter like a, you know, like a Jock Peterson, for example. I'm not saying they should go after him. He signed a one-year deal. He's a free agent. You're not going to get him unless the asking price is, is really low. You know, some people, I know John Morosi brought out Tim Anderson. Now, Tim Anderson, who's with the, um, White Sox, this is another example of like a, say a salary dump, for example, for the White Sox. Tim Anderson has been struggling. I don't see him getting a Tim Anderson because it's not a player that they look at and say, you know what, this is someone who's going to be a part of the mix and, and be a part of the core players or adding on to the core players once 2024 rolls around. So think of it like that. <clears throat> okay, so um, the, you, you've got to look at, if you're looking at players, that's number one. Now, they, and by the way, when saying that, they call every team. It's not like they just sit there and go, nah, we're good. We're only going to pick out these players. No, no, no. They call 29 other teams on the daily and just check in. That's what they do. They call and say, hey, um, you know, what are you looking at? Who are you looking to move? Oh, yeah. And then they'll do it. I'm sure they'll do it the next day, too, or then a couple of days later. Hey, what are you thinking now? As, as records change and as teams and everything and teams get together, especially over the All Star break. And have their meetings and see where they're where they're kind of headed because all these teams go long term um, visions now. By the way, you know, you don't get these teams that just build a, a winner up for a year and then strip it down. Remember those years like the Marlins and 
a um, couple of these other teams that, that would do that. They'll just build it up and then strip it down. Sometimes you get that when a GM's job's on the line and they're trying to make a massive splash and, and be the, the big winner here to justify his job. You know, Jack Sorensic, I mean, essentially did that, getting Robinson Cano. He just wanted to go crazy, right? Because, um, you know, because his job's on the line. He hasn't done, he didn't do anything. And I wasn't, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a huge fan of Jack Sorensic at all. There was a couple personal things that went on between him and I, um, which drove me nuts. Um, but you could see that, totally see that, the way he handled the um, you know, signing Robinson Cano, which is awesome if you're a Mariners fan. You're like, yeah, this is great. Uh, but at the same time, what was it a long-term vision that all these teams have now? No, not really. Even these big market teams have these long-term visions. All right. So what, what does this team need? Now, the obvious answer, everyone says, oh, we need a bat. All right. I honestly... You know, for what you would get, or if you get a player that's under team control and you've spoken to the agent, just like maybe they did with Luis Castillo before they, they went crazy to get him, they have a, have a conversation said, is he willing, if we get him, is he willing to do an extension? Are you willing to talk to us and what are the parameters? If the agent says, yes, let's do it, and they come up with some sort of preset idea uh, before um, the trade happens, Great. That that means you know what? All right, let's go for it. Let's do it. And that's what they did. They kind of had a, they had a heads up on uh, Luis Castillo wanting to sign an extension, and that's why the Mariners went crazy. Not didn't get crazy, but went, went after him and got him. Okay, that was a, that was a big reason. Not saying Luis Castillo had any choice over who he could um, sign with. The Reds come up with that decision, but they would have had an idea to say, look, he is going to essentially sign an extension. So some of these players you're looking at. Right, these younger players are going to be a little younger too. When you're looking at this list of who they potentially, I'm predicting here, who they're going to go after, they have to be a little bit younger, right? And someone who they feel like is a really good fit for 2024. And when I say 2024, don't pull your hair out. It doesn't mean they're going to just wave the give up in 2023. But some of these trade parameters have to involve what do we have in 2024. I'm, I hate to say it, but that's what I'm hearing from Jerry Depoto. Uh, when he talks. And I get it. Totally get it. It makes sense. It's a smart move. Does that mean they're going to give up some players? They could. They essentially could. If there's someone, now someone asked me, let me go back and see who am I willing to give up? Who would I be willing to give up in a trade? Um, let me pull up. I'm going to pull up the Mariners depth chart. Now, in saying that, who do, who do the Mariners need? Well, I say this all the time. Think of it like this. I know we all want offense, right? We want offense. We want to put up six runs a game. Well, it takes more than one hitter, I think, on the trade deadline to do that. The other thing is, you know, when you get a house and you want to renovate the kitchen, right? If you own a house, you're like, oh, my kitchen sucks. But guess what? Your roof's leaking. And you're like, oh, screw this. I'm just going to fix the house, the kitchen. I'm going to get this, you know, U-butte, as we say in Australia, kitchen. And the roof, I'll deal with that later. Well, the Mariners have a little bit of this situation right now in their pitching stuff. Their pitching is unreal. Bullpen's great, right? Bullpen's awesome. The middle pack of the bullpen, we saw it yesterday. We've seen it the last few days. There is a little bit, I'm not going to, they've been doing an unbelievable job. You're, you're talking Gabe Spire, I'm talking Saucedo, I'm talking uh, who else is in the middle of that pack. I mean, I'd even throw Justin Toper in there as well. But the middle of that pack has been amazing. This is the first time for all of those guys, right, as I'm, you know, I was about to go down the list here, that they've ever had this role, right? Ever, ever had this role. None of these guys have come from a team where it's been five years of, yeah, I'm the setup guy. None of them. Not even Matt Brash. Um, you know, not, not even, I mean, not even Andres Munoz. Um, but you're looking down this list. 
but you've got in the back in the front end of your bullpen like as, as in the guys who are doing the least amount of work Isaiah Campbell Devin Sweet they just got here then you've got you know in the middle pack you've got Gabe Spire Salcedo Justin Topa then you've got Matt Brash Munoz Seawold when I'm looking at that so I've broken into three parts they need to add they have to clog that leaking roof on the bullpen side they need another bullpen arm whether it's a veteran that's where you can go rental if you want because it doesn't cost you a whole lot if you want to th- if a team wants to give up a controllable player and then throw in the rental uh, bullpen arm to give up you know a five million dollar six million dollar deal fair enough the starting rotation brian Wu was great i'm going to jump into something so with brian Wu here in a second the starting rotation you got bryce miller and brian Wu who make up two-fifths of your rotation, they need to address. Look, Bryce Miller, I know he's coming back from the blister. There's a few things that concern me. I'm not saying he's injured, but that the variance in his velocity, you're talking 97 to 93, is a concern. I just think that this kid, I know he threw a lot of innings last year, et cetera, but no inning is ever created equal. No workload is ever created equal. There's something going on with Bryce Miller that they're going to have to monitor. He, he will pitch to the end of the year, I'm sure. But they're going to have to monitor, right? It's going to be 70 pitches here. It's going to be watching that bullpen session. He's going to be on the shorter leash in August, September. If you want to have a run to the playoffs and this team is built on pitching, you cannot deal with someone who you have to keep on a short leash like that and monitor and monitor. Same thing with Brian Wood. Now, Brian Wood pitched in the seventh. He was good yesterday, which I was kind of surprised about. Pitch count was in a healthy shape. But again, another guy, they've been vocal and they're setting you all up. For a situation where Brian Wu, not saying they're going to, you know, basically there's going to be a, um, you know, pitch limit or whatever. So that's another concern. Again, two fifths of your rotation is going to be dealing with that. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm kind of alluding to. So starting pitching, you kind of have to deal with that too. So your strength, you still have to deal with your strength, right? You, that keeps you dry, not your roof, <laughs> because it's kind of leaking a little bit. There's a couple spots in the spare room. Where you get the drip, you can't just keep putting buckets out. You've got to address that before you go and get that fancy kitchen, people. That's what I'm trying to say. So I think there's a couple things. I hate to say it, man. Look, get a, grab a bat. Get someone. If you can get someone in club, club control, you can extend for next year. He's a big name. Super duper. I, if they're out there, great. Because understand this. The Texas Rangers, right? The Baltimore Orioles, because they can. They've got a deep farm system, both these teams. They're going to go wild here. They're going to go rental, Right? Some of these teams that you're going to be um, trying to tackle to, to get to uh, this wild card spot, they're going to go big. Uh, and, and you're going to be – don't be disappointed. If there's a situation, like I said, that they can swing and get a club control player and uh, and have them in 2024 having part of the mix, have at it. Now, there is one player who I'm good friends with. We did a camp back in January. He's from here. You know who I'm talking about. He's absolutely dealing. I'd love to see him get him and somehow say, listen, you want to be here? You want to be home? And you can somehow work out, talk to the um, talk to the his agent and be like, hey, he wants to play here. He's a free agent at the end of the year. What do you think? Starting pitcher, Robbie Ray is going to be out next year. I'm talking Blake Snell. I'd lo- Blake Snell, he's from here. He's a huge Mariner fan. He, he pitches really well here in Seattle, right? I would love to see the Mariners say, you know what? This is going to be a big part of our rotation next year. And off he goes. Boom. And then they, they say, all right. But in saying that, that means they're going to sacrifice, when you're talking about free agency, uh, their offseason a little bit. And we all know the Mariners are going to be in 
when it comes to Shohei Otani. They are. For a couple of reasons. Number one, it's Shohei Otani, one of the best players in the game. Number two, revenue, how much money you make. You, you get that little return on your investment. You, you pay him $600 million. It will take $600 million plus, I think. Or it's going to take if – it, if it's hovering at below or around $600 million, Shohei Otani is going to have all kinds of outs in that, in that contract. In other words, he's going to have a deal where in two years he can opt out. Five years he can opt out. He's going to have these different bonuses. If he stays, then he has to get paid this, that, and the other. So with Shohei Otani, that contract is going to be long. It's going to be cost a lot of money with a ton of player-friendly opt-outs where he can make a decision and break free from that team in two, three years because he wants to win. On the flip side, if you're that team that gives that coughs that up, how much money you make when you have that the Shohei Otani market, in other words, in Japan, obviously, worldwide, NHK money, NHK is the, the TV over in TV, the TV that in Japan that, that kind of runs the whole show. And the Mariners are very aware of that, even the ownership group around the Ichiro time. They know how what kind of return you get on the investment. They're going to be in with Shohei Otani. So they're going to essentially clear the way. So when I talk about, I'd love to see Blake Snell here. Love it. Uh, he's an awesome dude and he just he's just got that bulldog I think he'd be really good for the younger players as well but when you have a situation where you're looking at this gum okay we're going to put all our eggs in this Otani basket this winter which I think they will um, then you, you that's priority number one then you got to figure out the rest of your free agency so that's the question on the, the trade deadline stuff um, I apologize for some of you I didn't give you a read on your shout out on your name all right let's get to some of these other questions okay so jessica um cordon oh cordon, sorry jessica cordonio cordonio i hope i'm not messing that up i'm just gonna blame my accent what's up jessica okay question uh do pitches throw a pitch out of the zone on purpose if so how can you tell if it's on purpose strategy or by accident yes they 100 do you have to what's called expand the strike zone yes so if it's on accident if they completely um and again, when it's on accident, you, as a pitcher, just speaking from experience, if you completely spike a ball, you throw it well outside the strike zone, you nearly hit the guy, this is what you need to do, young pitchers. Act like you meant to do it. If you give the reaction, I see big leaguers do this all the time. I was guilty of it too. If you give that reaction that, um, oh man, you throw your head up in the air. And by the way, if you like watching pitching or, or this kind of question, Jessica, Watch pitchers' body language. It is the funnest thing. I'm telling you, a three-hour game actually feels like it goes for an hour when you're watching that. It's the funnest thing ever, and you're seeing the good and the bad. So if you throw Alex, Alec Manoa, classic example. Well, he kept it together yesterday. I'll, I'll give him that. Watch that body language. They throw a pitch, and they throw their head up in the air. They're, they're annoyed. George Kirby does it all the time um, because they missed the pitch, right? Yes, you go outside the strike zone because hitters chase. Harvey Byers is the extreme example. You do not throw in certain counts a pitch inside that little square slash rectangle in the strike zone when you watch it on TV. Um, now, how can you tell if it's on purpose? If it's close to the strike zone, for example, if it's a straight, if a fastball, if the ball's gone straight on your screen and it's close to the strike zone or just above it, they meant to do it, right? Uh, and you can tell if they miss it by a bunch. And the other thing is, look at where the catcher sets up. I see this all the time. Like Brian Wu did this a couple of times. He down and away on the black, but the catch was set up in kind of a different spot. Watch where the catcher's setting his glove up. If he's setting up down and away to a hitter and he throws a pitch inside, mistake. He didn't mean to do that. He's trying to get him to throw the ball away. Sometimes the catcher's trying to deke out the runner or the hitter uh, by set, putting the glove up higher. And then they'll drop the glove where they want to throw it the last second. Okay, so that yes, there is by accident pitches are not that good. Trust me, they miss all the time. Um, 
And yeah, it's a good question. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, the Mariners have a bobblehead of Woo holding a football. I like that. Yeah, but there's a bunch of... Hey, listen, Timothy, Harvey, I, I, I answered half your question. There's a bunch of guys that throw ball, um, football. I used to throw a football in the, in the off-season. It's really good. The reason why Brian Woo throws a football, by the way, if you're wondering, is because the weight of the ball, number one. Number two, it gets your arm in a really good efficient arm path. In other words... You hold the ball, you go straight up, and you cut out any inefficient arm path movement. So hold, with a heavier ball, it can get you into because you have to be efficient. And you can't do that long Tim Tebow uh, way of throwing a football. It's really, really important. Okay, that's a good question. All right. Um, what's the explanation? This is from Blaine Holbrook. What is the explanation of Prelander Barrel move that I missed? Why bring him up, throw him in a tough spot in the debut, then send him back down so quickly? First of all, they had to throw him in a tough spot. They didn't have a choice because their pitching was really limited. And uh, what's up, Lennox? Lennox just walked in the room. How are you, buddy? Good? Good morning, mate. All right, so uh, why did uh, explanation for Prelander Barawa? Sit there, mate. You can sit and, and listen. Watch out, Layla. Leave her alone. Leave him alone, mate. Hey. Okay. Um, okay, so they didn't have a choice, right? So Prelander Barawa, yeah, he's making his debut. You didn't have a five, a... Yeah, you're fine. That's all. That's all good, man. Uh, with Prelander, you didn't have a situation where you had a five-run lead where you could bring him in, give him a soft landing. They had to bring him in in that spot. I know there's runners on because they were short on on pitching. By the way, you see how they made a couple moves to bring him and, and Devin Sweet up as well. They were a little short, and they had, the guys had to come up and um, and fill some yeah. fill some gaps. The other thing is too, I think they sent him down because they're a couple of reasons. Number one, make a move, get a fresh arm. Number one, that's number one. That's the business side of it. Number two. Um, I know, yeah. Number two, the other reason why is because um, you see the command? He just didn't look comfortable. And like, uh, maybe this is a little too quick, so we're going to pull the plug on this really quickly. Send him back down, get a fresh arm. And, and number three, they're trying to compete, man. I, I love these, these, um, these debuts and you want to see it. You want to see it, but at the same time, they want to compete. Okay, I'm going to take one quick break and sort him out with some brekkie. I'll be right back. Uh, no, you got, you got to really pay attention. That was his debut. And by the way, he was thrown to the Wolves. Let's make no mistake. That was a tough, tough debut. Man, one-run game against the Blue Jays. The atmosphere was crazy. And here he is getting thrown absolutely um, to the Wolves. I'm, I'm, I feel bad for the kid in that regard, but he's going to be fine. He's going to be nasty, dude. 99 with that, that depth splitter he throws, that little, um, I think it was a negative vert. Um, slider. What did I say? Splitter? I meant slider. Whoops, my bad. Okay. How do, uh, this is from Tyler Bean. How do Wu and Miller's fast, heavy fastball usage differ from one another's? Good question. So, um, first of all, the the two fastballs, yes, they're both fastballs, but they're very different. Uh, they uh, Brian Wu has really good extension. Not as good as Logan Gilbert, but he has really good extension and late life, late movement. He's got that two-seam uh, fastball, which there, I'm going to talk about his changeup in just a second. Whereas, Bryce Miller has that high spin. If you if you go to my YouTube page, I do a nice breakdown of Bryce Miller's um, fastball and what makes it so effective. It's got that really high spin. No, it, it, it doesn't uh, – gravity, if you listen to the game on Friday, I talked about this a little bit with Aaron Goldsmith in the booth. The, because, he can RP, he, because he can spin that ball so fast and he has no vertical movement. In other words, gravity doesn't apply. So the ball stays above barrel all the time. If you go to YouTube, the YouTube page, the Top Step YouTube, you can find the Bryce Miller breakdown. I dive into all that. Yes, two different two fastballs. They, they profile very different. They have different what's called ball behavior, but high fastball usage because they're really, really elite. Brian Wu has that two-seamer that gets in on hands, uh, which is really effective pitch. He pitches down in the zone more. And if you notice... 
um, Bryce Miller has to pitch up in the strike zone. Besides that, and Tyler, I'm glad you brought that up. You noticed yesterday, I talked about this on the post-game show, Brian Wu, the, the ball Brandon belt out, it belt hit out, was fastball. Now, listen to this. No change-ups yesterday. One pitch when Brian Wu can find this pitch, this has been a work in progress, is, is the change-up. They're trying to mess with the grip, and he's trying to get confidence with it. If he showed Brand, um, Brandon Belt a, a change-up early in the game, Brandon Belt would not have been sitting on that change-up late in the game. Lefties are smashing Brian Wu because he hasn't got the feel. The change-up's good, bullpen sessions, and he's shown flashes of good ones, but he... Okay, man. Perfect. That's fine. That's fine. I know. I know. So, with in saying that, with Brian Wu, sorry, go Lennox. Sorry, getting a little behind the scenes here of family life at the Hyphen House. We've got Layla who's just driving Lennox crazy. All right. So with with Brian Wu, he um, that changeups are work in progress. When he gets that, lefties are not going to hit him the way the way they are right now. Brandon Belt, he's a veteran. He's he's basically at bat number three. He's like, you know what? I can eliminate the changeup because he's not going to throw it to me. And so basically, he's just sitting straight red, dead red fastball. He knows he's going to get one, and he smashed it. That changeup when he when Brian Wu gets that, he's going to be way way better. One side of the plate. Also, how does the org help Julio? I'm going to talk about Julio in just a second. Do you adjust your game plan now? If you're getting a, a it's not like you're like, oh, I'm just going to pitch away now. I'm just going to change my whole game plan. But if it's a situation where the umpire is con- continually giving you a pitch that you know is a couple about an inch outside, you're like, man, it just your confidence goes up. In other words, throwing that pitch. So you can go, okay, great. In a certain count, I'm more more um, prone to throw that pitch because I'm getting it and hitters going to get frustrated. So you can adjust a little bit, but I would not recommend it. You have to stay with your game plan. The other thing is too, you throw a pitch, and you miss you miss it. Talk about the body language again. The best thing to do is catch it, catch it back, throw it there again. I guarantee the umpire will slowly start changing his uh, vision on that one pitch if you keep hitting the same spot. They talk about all the time. If you are consistently out of spot, um, he, he basically they'll give it to you. A couple of Fridays ago, um, what's his name? Ty France got thrown out uh, on a pitch because he. There's Eduardo Rodriguez threw a fastball in, fastball missed by two feet. Then he threw one, which is borderline. He called it a strike. Pitch was outside off the plate. Ty France was frustrated. Now, if Eduardo Rodriguez had thrown two pitches in on the black there and then he threw that pitch, he wouldn't have been so frustrated. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, is it possible for the Mariners to win by five or six runs? Every or Is every game going to be a nail by just giving me a heart attack? Kevin, I agree with you. Kevin Kapinski, I totally agree with you, mate. It's crazy how they just fall right back in to these one-run games. I don't get it. I totally agree with you. Why is Colton Wong in the lineup almost every day? Scott, uh, Scott Oshman. Uh, o, sorry, o, Osman. Osman. I think I got that right, Scott. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, Scott, I, you know, Colton Wong, I, it's a situation where, and Jerry DePoto has talked about this, you got your core players and you got your depth on top of it. What the Mariners are lacking right now compared to, say, the Blue Jays who we just watched. The Blue Jays have a solid one through nine. They know where they're going to hit. So-and-so's hitting before Vladdy. Um, Lefty, righty lineup. There's two different lineups. So-and-so's going to hit in front of behind Bo Bichette. So-and-so's going to hit, blah, blah, blah. So one through nine, they basically know what it is. With the Mariners, you see all the lineup shuffling. They're trying to find the answer, okay? So if a righty's pitching, you're going to get... Um, Colton Wong, I get it. He's struggling. But when you talk about that depth, it's one way you got to try and get 
these guys, these depth pieces rolling if you want to be ready to roll in the month of August. I hate to say it, don't get me wrong, but Colton Hong, man, like that's kind of what you're dealing with right now. Um, and he'll tell you too, man, he's struggling. He's having a really, really down year. That second base hole, if they could get some help there, if there's a if there's that um, trade piece that makes sense where they can get him for 2025, I'm all ears. Trust me, that second baseman, thank you for coming, please. Get a shortstop who's willing to move over there. Not that shortstops are ever really willing to move to second base. Not a good career move because you just lose all your your stock and everything else. Um, you def- if that makes sense. Okay, so I'm trying to blow through some of these questions. Um, what else we got? Is there any hitting prospects close to making it to the big, big-time prospects like you mean, like a Julio, Jared Kelnick? I don't think so. There's a bit of a gap between the the prospects who are just on the verge to A-ball. So um, that's a question from Tom uh, at Grochest. Tom Groch. I don't know. I'm the worst. By the way, I'm hopeless at spelling. We don't spell in Australia. All right, this is interesting. Rosanna Thornton, do you think that there will ever be a woman who plays in the major leagues? I was eight years old uh, before I realized there were no women on the field and my dream came to a bitter end. Girls play baseball. Uh, It is tough because of... um, you know, I know girl, we just had the camp with Danielle. I was talking to um, some of the softball play- coaches about this. It's tough. You just had uh, Genevieve Beacon, Aussie chick who was hitting 85s, 86s. I think the, 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 the first chance for a female to get to the big leagues would be, I think, on the pitching side, if they can get that velocity to a place where it's – if you see a girl coming out throwing 90, 92s at some point, it's going to happen because guys are starting to throw 100, 101, and they can throw it with, that, with a filthy – Split or a changeup, 100% for sure. I think so. Um, but that that's what it's going to be. It, as far as velocity goes, like I said, the hardest throwing girl, um, again, don't quote me on this, but seeing Genevieve pumping, who's an Aussie, by the way, went to Tread Athletics and worked out. She was pumping 85s, 86s. And that was like, wow, that was pretty amazing to watch. If you can get that track and you get, and again, there's not many girls that actually play baseball. If you got, let's say you got, um, 10 million more girls on this planet <laughs> start playing baseball, well, then you may get the talent pool to, to come out. But again, obviously, um, you know, with the, with the boys, they are really strong. They play a lot of baseball. They swing the bat really hard. And again, I coach a lot of boys, a lot of girls. I coach a lot of them. And and that's when you're talking about the, the girl pool to the, the, the boys pool, the fastest way would get would be to be like, you know, like Trevor Richards, for example, for the, I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm saying this because he's 91, 92 with a filthy changeup. If if you had a girl who had, could get it to 91, 92, and she had a filthy off-speed secondary pitch, like a big-time swing and miss pitch, absolutely, for sure. It's just hard because the, the, the talent pool's so small in regards to that. All right. Um, okay, I want to get into this real quick before I, before I get out of here. I want to get into this. All right, let's compare King Griffey Jr., who's got a statue at the back, at the front of the stadium, and Julio Rodriguez. Julio's having a down year. Okay, he's hitting 244, uh, 3.04 on base percentage in his second year. But look at the career numbers. Check this out. Hits. Ken Griffey Jr. had 260. This is at uh, 996 plate appearances. Not at-bats, plate appearances, right? So you throw the walks and the on-base in there as well. All right, so let's do a little comparison. Ken Griffey Jr. hits 261, Julio 242. So, yeah, not bad, 19 hits. Uh, below him doubles griffey 49 julio 43 right there home runs griffey 31 julio 42 julio's beating him average 
Julio career two sixty seven. I'm talking up, up until 996 at bats, the first little year and year and a half of their career. Um, batting average with Griffey was 291, so 267, 291. On base for Griffey, 356. Julio, 330. Slugging, 461. Griffey, 456. Ground ball rate, Julio, 47%. Ken Griffey Jr., 43%. Stolen bases, man, I got Griffey stolen bases. I, for some reason, did not get Julio's. Let me just double check and see if I got that. Hold on. Um, why did I not write the stolen bases in there? I had it written down. RBIs, Julio, 126. Griffey, 115. So he's beating him in that. Strikeouts, look at this, 259 strikeouts for Julio. Ken Griffey, 137. Different error, I get it, different error. So if, if you notice, the error kind of comes into play. Julio has a few more home runs. Um, he's... OPS is lower. Griffey's OPS was 813. That's on base plus slugging. So anytime he can get on base or be a power hitter, basically. Big number for a power hitter. Uh, Julio's 792. This year's dragged him down a little bit. Now, here's the difference. So they're, they're pretty similar, right? Now, I would say, obviously, Julio's got him in home runs. Griffey's got him in all like all around hitting on base and average. Um, you know, more of an all-around hitter, whereas Julio's got him in RBIs and pure power numbers. Now, a couple of things to think about with this. Now, Julio's having a down year. Is Julio going to end up being like Teoscar Hernandez, which is a really good player, do not get me wrong, or is he going to be in this this have a statue at the front, Hall of Fame status? That's kind of what you want the Julio Rodriguez to be, right? You want him to be that Griffey status. And again, this is not a knock on Teoscar Hernandez. Teoscar's a really, really, really good player. He's going to play for a long time in the big leagues. But again, he doesn't have a statue at any stadium at the front of any stadium. He strikes out a ton. So is Julio going to be a guy who strikes out a ton, hits for really good power, and off he goes? Right, different era, different era. But with Griffey, he was just an all-round man. Like, look look at some of the numbers. Here's the difference though. Year number two, and this is what is alarming, and this is the the concern. This is why I'm like, is Julio going to end up being like Tiosca? really really great player in the big leagues, or is he going to be one of the all-time iconic players like King Griffey Jr.? Year number two for Griffey, he's hitting 322 home runs uh, at the end of the year, okay? Uh, Julio has, what's he got, 14 or so home runs. He's hitting 244, on base 304. Griffey, on base 366, right? So, yeah, 14 home runs. So, here's the difference. Griffey had an okay year his first year, and then all of a sudden just hit this spot where he was the, the King Griffey Jr. hat backwards, Got a statue out the back, out the front. Julio went guns blazing as a rookie. Wow, this guy's going to be unstoppable. Sky's the limit. He's had a regression. So there was a progression, Griffey, regression with Julio. And that's kind of the, the, the alarming part. When you look at the career numbers, yeah, sure, they kind of end up kind of at the same place. But the difference is Julio's having that regression year number two. I'm not saying that's going to be the pattern. He may go off this second year. He may get to, you know, hitting above. And again, different era. Griffey's hitting 300, more about hitting for average. Different shifts and everything, and the way they they there's a higher strikeout rate now. There's the velo- pitching velocity is completely different. People don't care if you strike out so much. Blah blah blah. But at the same time, as a player, you don't want to see that regression from year one to year two. So there is a little bit of that. So I think Julio, look, he he can have a good couple of months. I don't see the continued reg- regression here. Um, but you do, and the other thing is, let's not forget Griffey, man. If he wasn't injured, could you imagine? He had dealt with some injuries, mate, especially when he was a Cincinnati Red, that's for sure. Plus, he had to run into me when I struck him out when he came back to Seattle 
like you've heard the intro of this podcast. Uh, Julio didn't have to run into me. I'm joking. He would have had been salivating if he got to face me. I'll tell you right now, um, especially being a righty. So again, I, I just want to do a quick little comparison. They're pretty similar career numbers, but look at year two compared to year two. You want to see that progression. All right, guys, I have to go. I've been talking way too long. I've got Lennox is upstairs. He, he needs to get some brekkie into him. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a great chat. Here he is. Um, make sure you go subscribe, right? Tell your mates. If you listen to this when you're working out, drive safely or working out. Make sure you someone spot you on the bench. Whatever you're doing, go to manscaped.com. Support the show. Thank you so much, guys, for listening and telling your mates. We will catch you next time right here on the top step.